Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes. You'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Back to QAV TK episode four twenty eight. Thanks, so, Ken. Yeah, still in lockdown. Feels just like episode four twenty seven. Yep, still, <laughs> still here, still at home. I was, I was telling someone earlier today. I think I've saved about two hours a day by not going for walks and not playing golf and practicing golf, going to the gym, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I've just been <laughs> catching up on all the all the old jobs and. Lots of progress on QAV, on three-point trend line automation and Dylan's backtesting and all that. It's been good. Good stuff. Mm. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're keeping your spirits up. Yeah. Um, i tell you what raised my spirits in the last week was looking at the open-ended equity fund performance uh, in Morningstar for the 2021 financial year. Uh, some really great results there. Perpetual Wholesale Geared Australian, 98% return Ausbill Australian Geared Equity, 86% return. AMP Capital Specialist Geared AUS Share A, 70% return. Sphere Australian Smaller Companies, 57. PM Capital Global Companies, 52. Pengana Emerging Companies, 50. Vanguard International Small Companies Index, uh, 49. And then coming in at number eight spot, QAV portfolio <laughs> at 48%. <laughs> leading uh, Hyperion Global Growth Companies at 46. Uh, if we were a fund, we would have come in at number eight uh, last year. Yeah, that's pretty low for us. We should be aiming higher, I think. Or, <laughs> or, uh, or we should be going out and gearing the fund. <laughs> <laughs> would that make any difference? Well, that's what some of those, I think the top performer was geared, wasn't it? So it should double your returns if you're 100% geared. Okay, is that how that works? Yeah, so they, it's a return on equity. I think they're quoting return on equity. So if you've got lots of debt also right. exposed to the same strategy, you should be making twice the returns. I think back when we had ah. um, we had gear in our portfolio, GEAR, which was a, yeah. a geared Aussie stock um, ETF. ETF shares. Yeah, if you have a look at the share price graph of that and compare it to the ASX, it basically went up twice as fast and crashed twice as fast. 
because of the gearing. Right. Mm. Last year when the COVID cough was going on, we spoke about people gearing up mm. to, to buy back in. I wish I had have because like that kind of 48% mm. return would have been much higher if we'd you know, geared up to do it. Well, as I pointed out in my Facebook post on this, uh, you know, or I'm sure all of these uh, funds have a huge staff of full-time, highly paid, <laughs> highly skilled professionals working 80 hours a week, uh, devoting themselves to <laughs> running their funds. Yeah. You spend, I don't know, what, half an hour a week thinking yeah. about what QAV portfolio should do <laughs> over coffee looking at your window. If that, yeah. And uh, you beat seven of them. Um, so I beat you beat all but seven of them. I mean to say, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, you know, and and because I I was surprised by this actually because I thought well the market had a great year last year it was as we said last week best year in history recorded history for the ASX. Yep, maybe in pre recorded history in the pre in the in the before times before we recorded things the ASX did better, but. Uh, and and yet those performances weren't. I was thinking there would be like three hundred percent and four hundred percent and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but uh, apparently they didn't all just buy uh, afterpay <laughs> yeah. uh, and hold on to it all year long. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to, to be fair to them, they're probably operating a much bigger fund, so they wouldn't have C six C and uh, some of those smaller companies that we have. <laughs> True, in their fund. True, yes. uh, mm. but. Um, I guess to put it also in perspective, I doubt if there's many people out there who are completely invested in one of those funds. They usually um, would spread themselves over a number of those, a number of funds, you know, just to balance out the diversity or diversify the risk, which would have been the standard sort of financial advice. Um, but good luck with someone if they were holus bolus invested in one of those funds. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd be fairly certain those funds won't be the top funds next year. Yeah, you know, bit of the there'll be a dog to the dower in reverse sort of thing that goes on with fund managers that one particular strategy like gearing into overseas small caps has worked well this year, but it may not work next year. Mm. Yep, uh, I I know from my experience that QIV is always up there in terms of its performance. On the, it's very rare that um, it underperforms that league table. But it's a good point that you know we're we're buying some of the smaller stocks yeah. that they wouldn't be able to invest in. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, as you know, as I think you know, I bought GLE a little while back. It's moved. It's done nothing. Then it rocketed up three percent out of nowhere today, and then uh, fell six percent uh, an hour later. So, oh, really? uh, it's, oh. yeah. <laughs> Taylor and I were high fiving at ten o'clock, and by eleven o'clock we were crying. So, uh, you know. <laughs> I thought it was he, him that sold. I thought it went up and then it was him or his mate Chris <laughs> got out as soon as it went up just to crash my uh, my holdings. Yeah. Um, all right, other news of the week. Mark Mangano uh, sent us a note just want, uh, on Facebook. Just want to say thanks. As a completely novice investor, I've ended up with a 61.63% total return for the last financial year according to ShareSite. Obviously, not expecting that sort of return every year, but QAV is definitely working well for me. Congratulations, Mark. Yeah, well Stellar done, Mark. result. He, well, he's where is he on the fun table? He'd be number one, wouldn't he? <laughs> uh, he'd be number one, two, three, four. He'd be number four. four. Yeah. Well done, Mark. Yeah. He might have a well new career. <laughs> yeah, he should, should email some of these uh, fund mm. managers and say, hey, you know, I need a job. 
Oh, you should hire me. Uh, Buffett and the ABCs, Tony. Uh, I read this interesting article saying that uh, Warren Buffett warned the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation CEO about the ABCs, which I kind of like. He says the he was talking about, I think, the foundation, and uh, you know, as he's sort of leaving mm. active participation in the foundation, he uh, obviously had sort of a, an exit meeting with the CEO there and uh, said to him that he sees the big threats to organisations like that are arrogance, bureaucracy and complacency, the ABCs, cockiness, red tape and self-satisfaction, he said, is the uh, killer of all very large organisations. I thought that was an interesting quote coming from Warren. He's probably been inside many large organisations. It's interesting to hear him say something like that. What did you think of that? Yeah, he's been saying it for years. Uh, and if you look at how Berkshire Hathaway runs, he tries and keeps the admin and overheads down to a really small percentage of uh, of corporate overheads of total um, total size. So I guess they, you measure it by total um, sales maybe. But uh, he's always said that. He's got a team of, I mean, he used to talk about a team of 16. It's probably more like 25 these days at head office. Uh, doesn't doesn't need, you know, reporting to come in from business heads on what they're doing. You know, you got a problem, ring him up. You need to make an investment. you got this much to do it yourself with, but otherwise give me a call. You have this much leeway to do it yourself, otherwise give me a call. So, yeah, it's a really – it's a very different way of running a business and it's a really good way of running a business. When you think that, it's, you know, big big corporations – and like I'm looking out the window now with all those big towers in town – and, uh, you know, they're running corporate overheads at maybe 10% of, of sales or 10% of profits even sometimes. Um, that's a huge drag on a business. Um, you know, we've all, we both work for big businesses where you just see rows and rows and rows of workstations and wonder what they all do. So, uh, and a lot of it's doing business with yourself. It's compliance, it's uh, HR, it's all that kind of stuff. I don't think Berkshire Hathaway has a HR department. There'd be HR departments in the, in the trading companies, I would think, but um, yeah, Berkshire Hathaway doesn't see a need to do it. So yeah, it's um, it's a refreshing way to run a business. Really, it's more like a small business running a big business. Yeah, um, it reminded me the arrogance and bureaucracy thing of when I did work at Microsoft because I, I saw a lot of that in Microsoft's heyday. Very arrogant, very bureaucratic, and and it reminded me of. Um, there was an email leaked recently that I saw that Bill sent to his sort of senior uh, executives at Microsoft when Steve Jobs launched the iTunes store in 2005, I think it was, just after I left Microsoft. No, 2003, I think it was. I was still there. And uh, Bill was like, how did he do this? I have no idea. Like, they had no idea it was coming. Bill had no idea how Steve could have got the record companies to agree to it. Uh, uh, and he was talking about the sort of streaming apps that they were involved with then, real, et cetera, real networks, and how they'd just been completely, um, uh, uh, I don't know, quantum leaped <laughs> by Steve. And it was that kind of stuff at Microsoft, I think. They just got very complacent too with their control of the world. And then Steve came along and launched, you know, the iPod, the iTunes store, the phone, the iPad, and and then died and did the what's it yeah, quad, quad factor. 
And I, I know, I know, I, I can believe your story about Microsoft not knowing about the iPod before it was launched. Otherwise, they would have done it themselves first. So they kind of had a, a whole history of just copying whatever Apple did, including the operating system when Windows came out. Yeah, well, yeah. they. I remember uh, when the iPhone came out, Steve Barmer, who was running the company at the time, famously did a lot of press saying it was going to fail the iPhone, nobody wanted the iPhone, Apple didn't know anything about making devices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think he kind of signed then, his own resignation letter <laughs> during some of those. And then he launched the Microsoft for, phone. Yeah. yeah, which flopped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, okay. Over to you. Your trades. You wanted to talk about some trades you did last week and why you skipped retailers. Yeah. So last week I I flagged that I was going to do um, a sale of Virgin UK and then I was going to rebuy with those funds. <clears throat> and I it, because I was waiting forty eight hours for the show to go out and giving people time to make their own decisions on what to do. I didn't want to. Uh, front run anything um, by talking about what I was going to buy before the podcast went out. But um, I did give a list of four stocks that I was considering. And, you know, one of the reasons for having four was that I didn't know what was going to happen in 48 hours. One of them might go up or one of them might go down or whatever. But what I found, and I'm sharing this now, not so that people should be doing what I did, but they can see my thinking behind what I did. So it's not a recommendation in any sort of shape or form. Uh, but what I found with there was there was two retailers on the list and two gold companies. So there was JB Hi-Fi and Adairs, and there was Remilius Resources and Silver Lake Resources. So four companies. Uh, I think from memory, the retailers may even have been slightly higher on the list, or one of them may have been slightly higher. But I did skip over it, and it, the reason why was if you have a look at their share graphs, they even though they're still in um, buy territory, so they're well above their sell prices and they're above their buy prices too by a long way, they've been trending down recently, so they've been dropping off. And um, I don't like necessarily putting new capital into something which is in that situation. So even though it's in a long-term buy, if it's trending down, I'll wait and see um, if it turns around and and look to, to re-establish when it does get an uptick. But the gold miners were only up uptick situation. So I, I um, went and bought some of those instead. I also already had some smallish positions in Remilius and Silver Lake. So it was nice to add to those to bring them up to a sort of core weighting in the portfolio. And that was historically the case because I'd owned them for a long time, uh, but hadn't added to them for a long time. So that was good. But the other thing I, I just want to sort of, I guess, talk about as amusing, so not necessarily a a hard and fast rule at the moment, but something I'm thinking about. If you have a look at the graphs for some of those, the uh, gold stocks in particular, and then we can compare them maybe to one of the retailers, but pull out, say, RMS, which we'll start with first. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to call it up in Stock Doctor here. Um, <clears throat> you can see that it's it's clearly in its in a buy territory situation. Um, but you can see that if you look at the high point, if you're coming to this graph fresh and just using our basic rules, which is use the high point and then the one to the right. So the high point's July 2020 and the next one to the right, the next uh, high point to the right would be uh, September 2020. If you draw a line, you've almost got like a, a recent buy for this particular stock. So even though 
Uh, it would have been in Bai territory for a long time, going back to at least uh, February, uh, sorry, April 2020, and, and probably even going back further to about to December 2018, if not even earlier, because it's been in a general uptrend for a while. I'm just sort of thinking about this idea of what I'll call a second peak. So uh, rather than sort of going back and looking at the buy line, selling the, the following the sell line and working out when it would have been bought, it's also in a buy at the moment as well, which is a, it's starting to firm in my mind as being a nice test if you're coming into a company that has been in an uptrend for a while and you're wondering whether the um, it's it's sort of good to go into it again. But I haven't done much testing on that, but it's just a thought. And if you compare it back to, say, a, a Dares. Hold on. Before you move off that, can I ask a question about Romelius? Yeah, sure. So there was a peak on the 31st of May when it hit ninety-seven. But then it dropped back at, by the end of June to a dollar sixty nine five, and it's still sort of around a dollar sixty nine now. So, yeah, isn't doesn't that you know sort of look like the bank situation where it's uh, dropped off for the last five or six weeks? Yeah, it has, and I must admit, when I bought it, it was slightly ticked up there at the very last during the month. Uh, so it's come back a little bit, back to being a flat line. But the point I was making is more about the fact that it's back into a second buy situation. Yeah, I got that bit. But yeah. you were saying just earlier that when things are sort of trending downwards, you want to wait until they do an uptick. I'm just not sure how this would look going by that rule, but you said it was – coming back up when you bought it. Yeah. Like on, so on the daily I'm, trades. I'm pretty sure when I looked at it on Friday when I bought or Thursday night it was back up. So that, that last flat just, line was slightly up. But if right. I if yeah, I, I'm just moving to the sorry. Thirty sorry, I'm just moving to a daily view, thirty days daily view. So what was uh what was Friday the ninth? This is dollar sixty sort of dollar sixty four on the ninth. It's even lower, but then it came back up to dollar seventy one and then dropped back down. So. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, at the moment you, it's you going, were happy that it- at the moment it's going flat. At one stage it was going up and it's come back down again a little bit. But yeah, no, I'm generally happy that's still in an uptrend. So okay. if you compare it to the retailers, that'll probably even contrast it a bit more. So what's ADS? AD ADH something. Yeah. So you can see that it's it's um, definitely come back, uh, and it's if you if you Looked at the graph now and went to the highest point. There is no peak to the right, so it's pretty hard to draw a byline. So it's dropped off from its high point. So that's one of the reasons why I you know, decided to leave you it alone for a while. You mean hard to draw a second byline? A second byline, correct. We can draw a byline. Yeah. It's certainly in buy yeah. territory, but, yeah, just this idea of getting another signal, a more recent signal, I think is interesting. Yeah, right. So anyway, that's something I'll watch, and it was certainly in my mind when I was doing the um, – the research into these companies last week. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, not not recommending. Cool. Not telling people they should sell if they already have these stocks. It's it's by no means a recommendation either way. I just wanted to explain my thinking about what I did last week. I just found it interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So let's talk about Hum. Uh, I, I did say uh, a couple of months ago that Hum is a dumb name, but I went and bought it anyway because it had a good <laughs> score. <laughs> And then it had some troubles over this uh, forum finance business last week. I note that it's up 3% today. Yeah. At the moment. 
Don't yeah, speak and too I think early. I think sentiment's got to be a bit of a guide here because um, it is uh, sailing reasonably close to its sell line, which I think is going to be around sort of ninety four cents, maybe it's back up to a dollar. It got down closer to that last week when they made an announcement, uh, but I was a bit disappointed. The announcement was a bit light on detail. I don't know if they've made another one recently mm. since last week when I last had a look. But um, to I'm having a look now, yeah. To summarise, uh, summarise. There's a company called Forum Finance, which the uh, Westpac Bank are, are taking to court and trying to get wound up to repay some debts. Uh, Forum Finance is a company. Uh, um, again, there's not much information out in the marketplace, but. From what I've read, is a company which arranges equipment leases and equipment finance. So it's kind of a middleman, I guess, with the bank. So the bank will lend foreign finance money and then foreign finance will go out and break that down into small parcels and, and allow people to buy equipment on leases like photocopiers, printers, or um, this is often a big thing in the catering field. So I think coffee shop, you're talking about the, the coffee maker, the big um, Italian espresso machine might be on an equipment lease. And then foreign finance would make their their money out of the gap between what they can borrow the amount for and what they can lend it for to the their end customers. Um, now it looks like uh, Westpac are alleging that a lot of the invoices that a lot of the uh, yeah uh, applications that foreign finance used from end customers to arrange loans were fraudulent, and they've confirmed that with a couple of the. Um, the end customers who are large, like some of the big retailers. So uh, the guy who runs it, Forum Finance, has left the country. Anyway, this is all playing out in the course at the moment and I, I don't want to allege anything uh, at the moment until it, we get resolution. But the strange thing was HUM, which is um, high up on our, on our uh, checklist, came out last week and said they had an exposure um, because of all this of $12 million. Now, that's pretty much all they said. They said that they had some of these um, equipment financing, I guess, loans on their books and that they sold that in the past to somebody else. So it's it's a bit hard to understand exactly what their exposure is. But uh, I, I guess what they're saying is that somehow foreign finance, if they've uh, prosecuted fraud, have maybe also borrowed money from, from HUM, which is in the business of, of again, loaning people uh, money. It's a It's a... Of a, a buy now pay later operator that's been around for a long time, and people will know it when from going into a, a white goods store and maybe putting a fridge on on forty eight uh, forty eight months interest free terms, for example. That is often provided for by um, Hum, which used to be called Flexi Group. So we don't have much information, and and one of the people on the Facebook group on um, on the QAV Facebook group asked a question about it. So that's. That's as much as I know. It's it's kind of peculiar that Hum have an exposure if they've sold that loan book to somebody else, but maybe there's a a clause in that sale agreement which um, mm. you know provides some kind of warranty to the purchaser. I'm not sure. But my mm. response was, until we know more information, we sit tight and we look at the sentiment, which uh, has turned up today. So maybe people are starting to work out that the twelve million dollar exposure is, is may not be as bad as first thought. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, thanks for explaining that. 
I read I read the announcement last week as well, and I was like, "Yeah, what are you trying to tell me?" Yeah, I don't really know. Is this is this bad? Yeah, <laughs> it, it actually I got the impression they didn't really know. They were like, "Listen, we, we got to put something out. We have an obligation, but we don't really know yet what what it all means." Yeah, possibly, and, and it's oftentimes when the when the um, notice goes out and it's pretty skint that they're, they're trying to comply with their obligations to keep the market informed. Um, but they haven't had right. time to run it to ground yet and work out what's going on. So, yeah, that could be the case. I've got the sell price uh, in Stock Doctor, the alert set for 91.8 cents, by the way. Oh, okay. I just did a rule check there. It was about 94, but okay. Okay. Somewhere around that. Well, yeah. hopefully I don't have to worry about it, but we'll see. Yeah. Um the Dogs of the Dow 2017, you told me you pulled out an old spreadsheet. Yeah, funnily enough, I was just like uh, tidying up my um, my folders and my files on space, on uh, my laptop over the weekend, fun times when you're in lockdown. But um, one of them I came across was a, a an old file from 2017 which had a list of 10 Dogs of the Dow. And so I spent a bit of time um, working out how they went between now and then. And, uh, you know, I know this is not the way the dogs of the hour was meant to work, that you hold on to it for four years. But anyway, so the the um, the stocks in question were Domino's Pizza, Telstra, Vocus, Brambles, Harvey Norman, Grain Corp, Coca-Cola, QBE, Fortescue Metals and Hellscope. And... Overall, those stocks were up uh, on a compound basis. Well, they were up 65% in total, which was about 13% compound growth, and the ASX did about 6% over the same time period. So they did double market, which was good, but nothing to sort of write home about really. And the interesting thing I thought was that if you took Fortescue Metals out of that um, that list, which had, had tripled in value or went up three and a half times in value, the, the performance is even a little bit more anemic um, overall. So for this Q Metals had a compound growth rate of 46% per annum for those four years. Uh, and it just sort of struck home to me again that, yeah, that the dogs of the Dow does represent value, uh, but for this Q Metals has been a core holding for us in both the dummy portfolio and my own portfolio for a while now. So there are probably better ways of identifying the value stocks and the contrarian stocks, which we do with QAV. But, but didn't you just say that it's done double market for the last four years? Isn't that our, isn't that our objective as well, double market? Yeah, but um, I, well, that's a good point. But I think we would have achieved better than that. I haven't gone back and had a look, but 13% CAGA over that four years is not great. I think we'd be getting our normal sort of 19, 18 to 20% over that four years. Right. Yeah. So possibly we're getting triple market over that four-year period. But anyway. Funny to think that FMG was a, considered a dog four years mm. ago. Yeah. Now they, they rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for now. That's right. Killing it. Yeah, they are. For now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Very interesting. Wanted, wanted Thank to talk you. about that given we were talking about dogs of the day last week. Yeah. Mm. Your stock of the week, Tony. Well, I just I recorded a session with Phil Muscatello today Um a 10-minute sort of, I think he calls it the weekend stock update. So I did a deep dive into two stocks. I did um, Medusa Mining, which I'll just rehash as the stock of the week. I also did a, a dive into um, Millennium Services, which was our number two stock on the um, 
UAV index. And I'll, I'll come to that second. But uh, I wanted to just go through these and it's in preparing for Phil's show, you know, I went back and looked at um, not just our scores and our numbers but also annual reports and tried to do a bit of a, a news search on what was going on with the business. And uh, it was actually a really interesting process and I just wanted to outline it because it might be that, um, you know, when we talk about do your own research once you get a, um, a download, it's uh, some people might feel more comfortable almost writing up a stock report uh, rather than just saying here are the numbers and here's a score. Uh, at least it puts it into a sort of format that they're probably used to getting from stockbrokers and reading in the paper and stuff like that. But anyway, long story short, um, I, I use the annual report for Medusa Mining. I use they have a quarterly report because mining stocks must report quarterly and then our QAV numbers to, to pull together a sort of profile for it. Medusa is a, a Philippines gold miner and so straight away that highlights some of the risks which are going on at the moment. They're in the Philippines, so you've got sovereign risk. It's a mine which is overseas outside of Australian law and tax jurisdiction, so there could be some risk there. I'm not saying that there it would eventuate. I mean, the Philippines is, you know, um, still operating as a you know a solid sort of country. Uh, but there's COVID risk. So they, in the quarterly report, the management of the mine called out the fact that there was COVID in the area. They'd been in lockdown, but they were still operating as normal, had managed to put procedures around COVID in place and were still forecasting their, to reach guidance, which was good. Uh, so there's a couple of risks there. It's also a gold miner, so there's a risk of the gold price, that um, the gold price comes down and uh, uh, the, the profitability of the company will come down. And, and that means I went to the gold chart and had a look at it, but it's still certainly in an uptrend as far as we're concerned using our three-point trend lines. Uh, the, the company's commenced paying a dividend in the last half, which I think is a big vote of confidence in the company by management. You don't start doing that if you think you might have to cut it at some stage in the future, and it's on a 5% yield, which is pretty pretty neat too. 5.85% when I had to look last week. That's, that's unfrank because it's overseas income, but it's still a high yield. Um, I guess the other point to, to make at this point in time is that we're only a month away from getting fresh figures from from these companies. So if anyone wants to is considering buying things at the moment, they they certainly can, as I did last week in selling Virgin UK and then buying some of the gold miners. But um, they also may want to wait for another month and see what the new results are, or certainly be aware of that it's coming up. Um, the, do, you, do you own MML? I have a small holding in MML, and that's because I was doing that champion challenger strategy where I've been um, testing a replacement theory of selling out of the lowest QAV stock in my portfolio and buying into the highest one. And MML, I'm only doing it for a, a small parcel of shares, and MML was GLE, which is higher on the list, was too small, and so was MIL, um, was too small, but MML I could do. So I've, I've got about $100,000 in MML at the moment. Um, oh, that's so, a small amount? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a small amount of MML. <laughs> Not smaller than your small amount of MML. Anyway, yes. so I'm, I'm declaring it. I just, thought we should, I just thought I thought we should declare that we both own MML. We should. Yeah, no, you're right. Well, I just wanted to make the point. It's not a, not a core holding because it's too small. Anyway, um, <laughs> but 
then I started to think about the business. Like the numbers in this business are amazing. The, it trades on a price to operating cash flow of less than 1.5 and its PE is is just over 2 and its yield is is over 5%, nearly approaching 6%. It's net tangible assets. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. And also uh, we get a, a... private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it so check that out qavpodcast.com.au but as i said if you're brand new and you want to you're trying to figure out what's going on go back and listen to season three episodes one three and five 301 303 and 305 and then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well all of the free episodes in season one where we go into a lot of detail about tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.